You may have seen if you came in the front, office, uh, front um, entrance that we are going to have a baptism on the lawn this coming Wednesday night. And we'll be celebrating those who have made decisions from uh, all the camps and mission trips. And uh, some vacation Bible school think uh, are going to be part of that. So there's going to be, I forget the number, there's like 50 or something, something like that going to be baptized out in the front uh, celebrating all of our student ministries and children's ministries and all that this Wednesday night about uh, 6 o'clock. Uh, don't think it didn't hurt my feelings when you laughed real loud about me not having anything to do with the finances, but uh, <laughs> uh, we do have it set up that way. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, well, a bunch of years ago now, uh, a local pastor got into trouble with church finances, and several of you asked me, he said, well, could that happen here? And the answer is no. And some of you said, well, why not? Do you know what I have to go through to get a check written? <laughs> okay. All right, first of all, I've got to explain it to Jacqueline Swinsky, my administrative assistant. Okay, and she's going to ask me what code do I assign this to. Now, you know how I am with details. I have no idea what code. Okay, so if we, we can't find a code, it doesn't get written. Now, if, if I really, really, really think I need to push it, I can uh, appeal it to, to Brian Doddridge. And if he won't let me do it, I can appeal it to Lisa Francisco. We call Lisa Francisco, our business manager, the minister of no. <laughs> huh. If I can get it, can't get it passed, I, I can appeal it to the finance team, and then I can appeal it to the trustees, and I can appeal it to you. Frankly, it'd be easier just to rob a bank <laughs> than it would be to go through all of that. <laughs> But, but it's because of those kind of structures that we're celebrating our, what, 16th, 16th straight clean audit. I mean, no, no nothing on there. Uh, no management notes, nothing we need to work on better. Our 16th clean audit. And, uh, and that is something, taking care of the Lord's money, taking care of the trust that you show us is something that we take very, very seriously. And no, I cannot sign a check. No, I cannot sign a purchase order. Now, I, I have my ways, but... <laughs> uh, but we're very serious about that. <laughs> so, are you like me? Have you just about stopped watching the news? I, I, I can't take it anymore. I got Republicans blaming Democrats, Democrats blaming Republicans, people from the North blaming people from the South, people from the South blaming people from the North, people from the East blaming those on the West Coast, West Coast blaming everybody else. We are the United States of whining. It's always somebody else's fault. I can't take it anymore. I'm so depressed by the time I end up watching the news. I just, I, I had just rather not know. I'm always surprised at how often on Sunday we'll get together and talk about how bad the world is and how it's different from the times when we grew up. And remember how it was when we grew up? Do you remember what it was like so long ago? Do you remember how our world has changed? Or my mother and my father never would have put up with that. On and on the list goes. I'm always surprised at how surprised the church is that the unbelievers of the world act like unbelievers. 
that those who don't believe in God act like they don't believe in God. Hear me, friends. The problem is not the world is acting like the world. The problem is the church isn't the church. So Jesus reminds us in a very familiar passage we find in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, begin reading verse 13. Stand with me in honor of God's word. You are the salt of the earth, but if a salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under, under people's feet. You are the light of the world, a city situated on a hill that can't be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way... Let your light shine before others so that you may, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. In that same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it. Believe it. Live. Let's pray together. You said these words so long ago, and we have spent lifetimes studying them, trying to understand them. So we beg you now in these moments, give us understanding that we may gain courage from the confidence of your teaching, that we may live faithfully in this very unfaithful world. For we pray this in the name of the one who gave his life for us. Amen. It's chapters 5, 6, and 7 in the book of Matthew. That passage of scriptures, those chapters that we call the Sermon on the Mount. And if you could literally spend the rest of your life unpacking all of the great truths that Jesus gives us about living, how to live life, what matters, what doesn't, how to deal with everyday situations that he gives us in these passages. You can read volumes and volumes of theologians, New Testament scholars who have tried to take this, uh, this scripture apart so we can mine the depths of it. One of the things that people want to know is how seriously do we take these teachings? How literally do we take them? Okay? Is Jesus using metaphor? Is he using word pictures? Or does he mean exactly what he says? Now, obviously, there are some things, sometimes in here where he's using a metaphor. Uh, a hyperbole. Things like, if your right eye offends you, take it out. Okay? If your right hand offends you, cut it off. Now, I'm always intrigued by people who say that they believe the Bible word for word, and they got both eyes and both hands. <laughs> Makes me a little suspicious. Okay, but what Jesus is not teasing about, what he is not being uh, metaphorical about, is, is the reality that if there's anything in your life, no matter how precious it is to you, if it keeps you from following Jesus, becoming more like Christ, knowing him better, you get rid of it. Now, that is a hard teaching, that nothing in your life comes before your relationship with Jesus Christ. That everything in your life flows from him and flows to him. 
we would change a lot of our social media, wouldn't we? If we understood that that aspect of our life as well is under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And yes, if social media keeps you from becoming more like Christ, you get rid of it. People often ask me, how did we live before cell phones? Very well. <laughs> we did fine. You've heard it said, Jesus says, if he strikes you on one cheek, turn the other. Okay, Jesus was being metaphorical, wasn't he? No. One of the things that frustrates me about being a follower of Jesus Christ is there are no loopholes. Okay, I've spent my whole life reading the Bible looking for loopholes. They aren't there. Okay, let me tell you what I mean. Somebody's angry at you and strikes out with, uh, toward you with anger. You don't have permission to be angry back. Okay? You can't say to Jesus, oh, yeah, he hit me, okay? And I didn't hit him back. I kicked him real hard, but I didn't, okay? No, no, no. Every one of our behaviors is under the lordship of Jesus Christ. We never have permission to let somebody else determine our behavior. That's some tough teaching. That is some tough teaching. And now we have this passage. And one of the things about the Sermon on the Mount, because it is so long, it takes, you know, three chapters, is we always end up reading it in chunks, like today. You are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. But we, we have a tendency then to disconnect it from everything uh, that goes ahead of it or everything that comes behind it. See, the salt and light comes from the kind of person that is described in the Beatitudes, Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are those who, thum, uh, who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Those are the kind of people who become salt, who become light. It's that kind of person who has his eyes, her heart, pressed on knowing Christ and all of his fullness, who has given him full reign in their life, who seeks after his word more than they, they want food, who, who want more than anything else to be in that relationship with Jesus Christ, who then become salt and light. Notice, Jesus did not say, you bring salt. You don't bring the light. You are the salt. You are the light. It is a statement of essence. It's not a description. It's a statement of who you are. When you walk into the conversation, when you walk into the moment, when you are in your family, when you walk into your office, you bring salt. You are the salt in those people's day. Now, I know you're thinking, what can a little bit of salt do? A lot. How many of you have tried to make homemade chocolate chip cookies? Right? Go to make homemade chocolate chip cookies. So you get, you get the chocolate chip cookie back, and on the back is Toll House chocolate chip cookies. It can't be that hard. But in that recipe, it calls for salt. You're thinking, smart person that you are, that's stupid. 
I want a chocolate chip cookie. I don't want a salty cookie. I'm not going to put salt in my cookie. And the first time you make it, you don't put salt in your cookie, do you? And how do they taste? They're awful. <laughs> They're awful. And somebody who knows how to cook comes, takes a bite of your cookie, and goes, you didn't put salt in this, did you? Why would you put salt in a chocolate chip cookie? Because salt is a catalyst. Salt makes everything else do what everything else does. Salt makes the chocolate more chocolate. Salt makes the rest of the recipe work. It is the agent of change. It doesn't have to be the change itself. It may not even be noticed, but it's the thing that brings the change. Now, salt changes the recipe. The recipe doesn't change the salt. You don't say, this salt tastes like a tomato. Somebody has ruined this salt. It tastes just like a tomato. Uh-uh. The tomato becomes too salty. It's not the world that changes the church. It's the church that changes the world. And it doesn't have to be much. Right? Some of you have inherited recipes from your grandmothers and your mothers, and you look at the recipe and it says pinch of salt. Well, my fingers are bigger than my mother's fingers. How much is a pinch? Dash. How much is that? Not much. Doesn't have to be much. The first thing that you and I would realize that when we look at the world and all that needs to be addressed and all that needs to be changed is there's not much of us. Doesn't have to be. You do know that the church was one time outnumbered a couple of billion to 120. We won that one. Doesn't? take much. It does take some, but it doesn't take much. You are the light of the world. Now, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a jar. In any home in the time of Jesus, you would have seen a lot of earthen jars that people would have used to store things, cook in, carry things in, that kind of thing. And Jesus is saying nobody would light a lamp and then place a jar over it. One, it would smother out the flame for keeping the oxygen from it. And two, it wouldn't let the light go anywhere. No, there was usually somewhere in the wall of the house, there was a little ledge, that's where you put the lamp. Sometimes it, it hung in the center of the room, but you put it in a place where it could lighten, brighten the entire room. That was the purpose, to make a dark room not dark anymore. You didn't light the lamp, cover it up, and defeat the entire purpose. Now notice, it doesn't take a whole lot of light. In fact, the darker it is, the less light you need. It takes some, but it doesn't take much. And no matter how much darkness there is, 
it can't do anything about the light. Amen. Told you before, you walk into a room, you flip on the light switch, and the light bulb blows out. <laughs> Scares you to death. Right? You don't know what's happened. And then it kind of hits you, okay, light bulb's out. You do not say, the dark killed another one. <laughs> Must have been really dark last night. We have lost two light bulbs. No. It is dark because the light has failed. Not because the dark won but because the light failed. If our world is dark, it isn't because the darkness is one. The light has failed. I talk to people all the time who are mad about hypocrites in the church. Oh, my... I know, I know this person, I know that person. They say they're Christian, but you see how they act. Here's my question. Why are you watching? Why are you watching this person that you claim is a hypocrite? Okay, I, I don't pay attention to people that I don't think are going to add something to my life, that, that I don't think are you know, smarter than I am, better than I am. I, I don't pay attention to them. Why is the world so quick to point out the number of hypocrites? Because they're watching. Because they know what I'm doing, the way I'm living, the person I am isn't working. There has to be a better way. There has to be another way. And where do they look? To whom do they look? They look to the people who are called to be salt, who are supposed to be light, and when they can't find it, they get mad. It doesn't take much. It does take some. It doesn't take a lot. It does take some. You are the salt. And if there's something wrong with the taste of the dish, it's because the salt failed. If we live in a dark world, it's because the light has failed. You are the salt. You are the light. The world's counting on you and me to be different. Let's pray together. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm not going to put you on the spot. I'm not going to embarrass you. But there, there are times when you need to do some serious thinking, and this is one of them. Perhaps this is a time of repentance, of realignment, of saying, this is something in my life, oh Lord, that keeps your light from shining through me. This is something that keeps me 
from being the salt in my neighborhood, my community that I need to be and getting rid of it. Maybe it's as simple as becoming part of Brentwood Baptist Church. We would love to welcome you into our family. You come. Or maybe you're sitting here and the only thing you're thinking about is how many times you've messed up, how many times you've blown it. And the reason I'm here is to tell you that Jesus died for those sins, died for those mistakes. You're paying a debt you don't owe. Christ in his death paid for your mistakes and in his resurrection gives you a second chance for life, a life of hope, meaning, purpose, a life you didn't even know was possible, but it's his free gift to you. So our ministers, our friends, or our, our, our counselors are already waiting on you at the big table out in the atrium says next steps. I beg you, do not leave with those questions unanswered, with that decision unmade. The Lord's waiting for you where you are. The church will wait for you as you come. Lord Jesus, every life is now open before you, every heart. So we pray now the choice we make or exactly.